Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. I'm really excited to welcome today Diane Bueller. She's the founder of the nonprofit organization Friends of Palm Beach, whose mission is to clean beaches regularly, removing trash and unnatural debris, and to educate the community on the effects of trash, litter, and debris on our environment and marine life. Diane is also a member of the Sandwich Generation. In and around her work with a nonprofit, she cares for an energetic six and a half year old daughter. And she keeps tabs on her 82-year-old mother, who doesn't need a lot of hands-on attention at this point, but she will undoubtedly need more in the way of caregiving as time goes on. Diane Bueller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You moved to Florida. You moved to South Florida about 11 years ago, which was a big shift in your life. Um, can you tell us where you were living before the move and why you decided to make the move? It was. Um it was a big shift. It was a 180 that I had promised myself for many years I would would do uh, when I was on a plane for business, on a train, on the subway, just um, doing the rat race. But um, the main catalyst behind it all was it was after 9-11 and I lost friends and the city was sort of rebounding and I don't think I was. And my father had uh, one of his multiple um, strokes. And I was living on a friend's couch. I had just broken up with a long-term relationship. And, and this was um, in New York City. It was in New York City, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was living in Tudor City. I did eventually get a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lived with a friend for quite a while and was sort of out of sorts. And when Dad had his stroke and it was time for them, they were uh, snowbirds, it was time for them to head down, I decided that within three weeks I was just going to make a permanent move and go drive them down and leave myself in West Palm Beach um, to be closer to them. I was the only single child of theirs at the time, and I promised myself that now is the time to leave the city and to kind of heal my own wounds and to help my parents, mm-hmm. if I could. And they were living where at the time? They actually had a home in Vero Beach, which is an hour north of West Palm Beach, where I chose to be, where I could better find a job and have a more social lifestyle. Vero Beach is very much a retirement community mm-hmm. um, and a very quiet community, but it was only an hour away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was close, close enough to be there when needed and often enough to visit, but far enough to, to then also have my own life. Mm-hmm. You didn't know anybody in West Palm Beach, uh, so you were starting over in a new place, right? What was that like? Yeah, I didn't know Seoul. I knew one acquaintance from New York who owned a restaurant here who, when I mentioned it to him, he said, you know, I'll hire you as a hostess. You'll get to meet some people right away and you'll have some income and it's a great area. It was up and coming at the time, but it was even more so getting a, a younger generation moving in there. So it was um, it was lonely, but it was a necessary move for me to sort of lick some wounds mm-hmm. and be with my parents as often as I could. And, uh, I, you know, I'd moved to Chicago as well many years prior, didn't know a soul there either. And it wasn't so daunting because this one I knew I needed and was for a whole host of reasons. And 
it wasn't long before I did meet a whole group of individuals, like-minded group that were uh, service-oriented and community-oriented and uh, fun-oriented as well. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you made that move? It was 2004. I was 39. Okay. Were you thinking about, oh, I'm going to be 40 and um, I need, or did that really not have very much to do with it? You know, maybe it did because I was, I had ended this relationship. I sort of felt like I had everything in my life up in the air mm-hmm. and not working so great. And I know I needed to make a change. And the move was the big change that um, I could do a multitude of things because I left home at 17 when I went to college and I didn't come back and I had no plans to come back. But that meant, you know, a distance between a relationship I had, a very close relationship I had with my parents. So now is my turn to be there for them with him ailing and her being, uh, you know, alone. Mm-hmm. And you were the only child in nearby. Is that right? Right. Well, I was the only, they were all nearby back on Long Island. I was right. the only I mean, when you... mo- mobile enough to be, yeah, I was single. I didn't have family roots my own family roots mm-hmm. and actually the um the, the mindset i had at the time was you know dad's going to recover from this and then i'm going to maybe go on to new zealand from there mm-hmm. <laughs> so i had friends that had just moved there and they had loved it and i visited and it was amazing and i thought you know i'm young enough and i'm adventurous so florida could be a good uh, stopping point while you know they recover and i recover and um and i move on Huh. So in your mind, it was sort of a temporary thing, an important, significant move, but more temporary, you thought? Yes, I thought. Yeah, uh-huh. I thought. You thought. And so what changed that? What made you decide to stay? Well, interestingly enough, when I first moved down, I got extremely sick from a flu I caught at the restaurant I worked at, and I lost my eyesight. And my mother ended up taking care of me <laughs> huh. um, for a week until my father kept falling, trying, trying to do too much. He kept falling, so he had to go back home. But um, I needed some tender loving care as well, which would only presented itself this way. I would never have asked. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even realize I needed it, you know. But, you know, this vision thing was pretty scary. And it was due to exposures I had at Ground Zero. But what, well, what changed was, you know, I, I formed roots here. You know, I... Um, was interwoven in the community in a big way by running a not-for-profit uh, young professional group, making friends, and then meeting the man that I'm now married to um, mm-hmm. and getting pregnant. So it was sort of taken care of for me, but that was it's how my life has worked. The universe, whether, mm-hmm. whether I'm putting it out there un- unknowingly, um, it happened. I, I never sought marriage. I, I was very much a freedom seeker and a traveler. Um, and children were not on my agenda at all. Um, loved them, loved my nieces and nephew, but um, wasn't in my repertoire of needs, um, potential wants, but, and then it just happened. Mm-hmm. Right, and you were in your early 40s when you had a child, is that right? Yeah. yeah. I got pregnant at 42. It sounds like you you didn't fit that sort of, you didn't fit that into your life plan because you felt like you were running out of time. Did your attitude about having a child change when you met your husband? No. Well, he didn't. He had been married prior, and um, there were no successful pregnancies. And I had had a fibroid surgery that left me with only a 50% chance of getting pregnant. So Mm -hmm. we really didn't, never discussed having children. But then it it happened. It was an oops. But I remember succinctly the day that I found out I was pregnant and how we both were blown away, but in a giddy way. And it was one of those, like, I didn't think I'd meet a person that I could share my life with and could fit into it at that point. Being so set in my ways and wanting different things than settling down. And then all of a sudden it was, 
it was a reality. Feelings just were full, came flooding in that, okay, this is, this is it. This is the right thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your daughter's now six and a half, and your mom, who's 82, is nearby, and she's a widow. So what's a typical day like for you, juggling mom and your daughter and your husband? Yeah, well, I don't see my mom every day, but she's on my mind every moment of every day. And I talk to her every day just to make sure that she's gotten out, she's taken a walk, she's, she's okay. And, you know, seven out of ten days, she's doing really good. She's physically fine. There's a few things that we need to stay on top of, but... Her emotional state is what really worries me, and she can run that gamut on any given day from from happy to sad. And she doesn't she hasn't integrated yet into any particular volunteering or with any particular friends. She chooses that. She's sort of been a freedom flower girl, you know, go to your own drum type person all of my life. But it worries me that she's alone a lot, and she she communicates that that's a downer for her. But then she doesn't initiate it, so it's frustrating. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I just I try to be a part of her day every day, even if it's just making a phone call to her. And I, if I have free moments, I am always thinking of how I can spend them with her. So it's um, she's it's nearby, not draining, but it's, it's a ne- bit tiresome. Yeah, yeah. Oh. she's very nearby. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. she's eight minutes away in a car. But you know, I just always envision her sitting alone, sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's a social person, but also she has lived where she's living now for about um, two years since your dad died. My dad will have passed three years ago. Three. So she's okay. been living here over three because she moved here um, within the year of his death, uh-huh. so about four years ago. But, you know, the first year here, she was going to the nursing home every day, and it was just more of that. It was more that she wasn't necessarily the physical caregiver, but she was still on call. Um, 24-7 with him so she and then when he passed it was sort of a strange elation for both of us but that soon went away and the reality of you know a man she's known for 60 odd years is is now gone and the transition of that is, is something I can't even fathom and she's the process is what she's still going through mm-hmm. what sort of a setup is she living in now it's a retirement apartment building, so she's right downtown, which just gives her access to the library and to the downtown waterfront to walk it to restaurants. The demographics are more Hispanic, so that's a huge Spanish-speaking building, which mm-hmm. is another detriment to her integrating. Um, not that the people aren't lovely, but they are they're clicky, and there are already forged friendships before she moved in there. Um, and she's met some people, which is great. But she's, again, a loner, too, so that's not going to change. And the frustrating part is we talk about how idle hands are the devil's work or whatever that saying is Mm -hmm. from her generation, and Mm -hmm. she'll come here and twiddle around the garden and do stuff and be happy, and I'm like, come any day you want, but she doesn't. She feels like she's intruding, and I can't get past that part of it as well, where my door's open, and Mm -hmm. she she hesitates. Mm -hmm. So it would make it easier. Yeah, there's a lot going on there for her, though, obviously. She may be thinking also that that is a capitulation of her independence in some way. For the listeners, we should say that we interviewed your mom a few weeks ago, and she's the dynamic Mary Bueller. So this is a really interesting perspective to get your perspective now on your mom, but I know she's really independent and doesn't want to be a burden because that's her generational attitude, too. My mom's the same way, and... And and yet, coming perhaps coming over to your house and hanging out a lot would be a, a, an admission to herself that, you know, she really needs you more than she would like to think. I'm not sure, but... 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, especially since we got home last night and we've been away for four days and she was alone and she just, I was so glad my family's back, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. She, so, she, and she is dynamic. I don't want to make it too like, mm-hmm. she's just the sad sack sitting at home. Everybody that meets her loves her. Mm-hmm. She has, you know, we have extended family that, you know, take her in in the summertime up north and can't wait to have her. She's, you know, Aunt Mary. She's crazy Aunt Mary. And my, my daughter and her, I mean, to see them together, it just warms my heart. You know, I hear my kids humming and singing and dancing, and I know that's a direct uh, response and reaction because she's hanging out with, with Grand Mary, who is will sing at the drop of a hat and, you know, break out into dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Mary's got no filter, and people love that about her. So it's it's something I would love more people to experience, and I know that side of her so well, but I also know the other side. So it's a, it's sort of a... Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm through the muck trying to build her up and pump her up, and I, I seem to have lost She's lost a lot of her confidence because of where she finds herself now, which I can wrap my head around that, mm-hmm. and I get frustrated, so I need to, I need to have patience, more mm-hmm. patience. Well, and she has some mood swings, too, so how do you deal with that? Unfortunately, I'm more like my father in that I get frustrated, and it's, I'm not as empathetic when I should be. So it's tough because I just wanted to snap out of it because <laughs> I know how <laughs> wonderful... She mm-hmm. is and mm-hmm. how much she can give and get from life. And she's not. But I also know that it's a process. So, yeah, I'm getting better at it. I think being a mother has allowed me <laughs> to be much more in tune with the dynamics of, of personalities and, and her feelings. And it's, but then, you know, she's also an Aries. So it's, it's interesting how she doesn't, she wants to communicate and express her feelings. And, and, but then once it washes away, she doesn't want to talk about it again. So <laughs> it's, I'm kind of blindsided some days with her feelings and then worrying about it and calling my sister and making sure they're calling her because the boys have sort of, one boy is more of a problem to communicate with her and the other one has sort of done a moonwalk. He's gotten married and, and really has no communication with my mom, which is horrible, but um, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So, so it's mostly you and your sister that are kind of consistently engaged with her. Yeah. And you more so because you're physically there. So what does the future look like for your mom? Would she move in with you and your husband? Have you talked to her about that? I've talked to her about it. We're we're converting our garage now. And she wants no part of even that conversation. No way I could do that. There's no way. There's no way I could do that. I love my little place. I love my own freedom. I love my own space. I love... You know, so I, and I get that. And I asked her to move down here when my daughter was born. And my dad was ailing further and further and she wanted no part of that as well but then the second that the doctor said well we need to put him in a nursing home she literally in 24 hours put him in a nursing home down here packed up photos and a lamp and a pillow in the back of her car and came knocking on my door (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) two years of of asking her to move here she made the decision in 24 hours and you know it it you can't tell her you can't you can't even negotiate with her. You can't hold her hand through things. It has to be done at her own time. And that's a good thing. It's frustrating as all get out, but it's it's also you know, she's got her own mind. She wants to do things on her own time. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. She's always been like that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Does your mom have a living will and do you have um POA docs in place, that sort of thing? Yes, and my sister handles all of that, which is interesting because she's up north. But they started that process when my father first got sick, and I was in Chicago. So, And Eileen and I haven't really sat down and had any conversations about that. I do know that you know, she's prepared herself 
as far as uh, cremation, the Neptune Society just swoops in and takes care of all of it. But as far as if DNR and, and whatnot, I'm pretty sure that those are in place, but we've never, we've had not had to come close to that. She has an aunt that lived to 100. Oh, and I right. don't want to be naive that that's mm-hmm. her path, but mm-hmm. she's pretty mm-hmm. healthy. But you've um, talked with her about end-of-life issues. Yes, she yeah. recently visited with her, and Ruth gave her a lot of good advice that my mother, you know, shared with me, but I don't see my mom actually taking it yet. Ruth is the 100-year-old aunt? Yeah. Okay. And what sort of advice did she give your mom that she's not taking? Just don't stop, stay involved, continue doing things with people around you and volunteering. And the woman drove until she was 98. Um, she remained Amazing. active in different things she, she did in the community. But my mother wasn't a joiner to begin with. So she did, I got her involved in my daughter's school last year as a, as a grandma teacher. And it was wonderful for her. But she also gets tired. So mm-hmm. she doesn't want to commit and then not be able to show up. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fair. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's, it's a fine line. It's all those cliches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm the one that, you know, I love thrifting. So we put, we set aside a day where we just, like, ah, come on, mom, or, Redmond did goodwill, we're going to World Thrift, so I just drag her on my errands, just so she has, we spend time together. And, you know, I wouldn't give this up for the world. I have this quality time now with my mom that I wouldn't have, um, because I didn't have it in their 60s and 70s, because I was off traveling the globe and living in different cities, and I regret that now with my father, because I didn't spend a lot of time in his, who knew, though, you know, in his mm-hmm. final healthy years, mm-hmm. he knew this was going to um, eclipse his his retirement. Very interesting. You know, I, I, your dad went the way I would, would want to go. And I think my father would have preferred to go quickly mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. a man in a situation like that is, and you know, a dad, his father, he, he was very, um, you know, very strong and very, not macho, but I, the word escapes me. And, and to, you know, for me to have to take care of him was, was hard on, on, on both of us and him especially. So it was, um, how did you get through that? I mean, it must have been hard for you to see your dad declining like that. Um, it was very hard. It, it sucked. It was terribly unfair because the man was just grandiose and verbose. And, and to see a man whittle away in a wheelchair and not speak for five years mm-hmm. was just, it was horrible. It was, it was um, but, you know, we, we communicated in our own way. And he did meet my daughter and they had this connection that was amazing to me when you saw it. You know, non-verbal, but, but pretty cool mm-hmm. to, to watch this little thing quiet down when Grandpa held her in his arms. And I was sort of happy that he got to experience her. But, you know, he was my rock. Mm-hmm. And um, he was uh, so positive and giving, generous. And he had no filter as well, <laughs> which um, hurt a lot of times with people that just didn't understand. But his honesty was what he thought that's how he cared for people. Mm-hmm. But it was not how they expected to get it. <laughs> um, so in the end, you know, he had a colostomy, which was his savior in the end. But it was also, you know, the bane of his existence. He loved to swim and water ski, and he just wouldn't even dip his toe in the pool when he could still walk. And and it was, um, it just sucked. Mm-hmm. It just really sucked. But um, in the end, I would take him out of the nursing home and bring him to my house and sit him in my backyard on the lounge chair and he just would sleep and he could just seemed content and, and he could feel it. Um, mm-hmm. So I do feel as if I had some quality time in the end, although we weren't talking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
It's just really moving. Um, my father died of a heart attack, just so listeners know, because you referred to him earlier. He went very quickly, so and your dad's decline was prolonged, just so people know. Um, and, and, I, and I think it would have been hard for my dad to be infirmed. I think he would have hated yeah. that. So I, I do think, in a way, that it was a blessing that he went quickly. And so I, I understand what you're saying completely. Do you think that your experience with your dad prepared you for your mom's aging experience, even though your mom's in good health? I think because I had such a somewhat of an idyllic childhood and I felt immune to so much stuff and thinking, you know, I'm going to live forever. Well, they're going to live forever. And yeah, it's, uh, although my mom's Italian, so <laughs> she's sort of struck with, and she had a lot of, uh, of sad, devastating losses in her life, which I heard about all my life. And he keeps a touch of reality on how you can lose somebody in an instant. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, and watching her suffer by taking care of him, um, although you'd never know it, she didn't share that and didn't ever want to be a martyr. Um, it was a reality check for sure, especially because I had been, you know, living the high life for so long and traveling and experiencing countries and people and, and, um, you know, you come home and, and, uh, day-to-day -day life is, is staring you in the face with illnesses that are uh, attacking your father and in turn affecting your mother. So it, I don't know if it's prepared me because I still feel like, well, you know, she looks good. She's acting good. She's independent. Um, it, it is a change for sure, but my whole life has been sort of in the last seven years in an altered state of the way, the way that it was. So a lot of things have become truth to me by having a child and by realizing that, oh my God, I actually gave child-rearing advice to people when I didn't have a kid. And it, it's, just, it's laughable when I look back now on thoughts I had and opinions I made and maybe judgments as well that, you know, I just kind of shut my mouth now more so um, <laughs> just by understanding the reality of things is so different, you know, my world now than what it was. It sounds like you learned some things about yourself during your dad's illness, especially too. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. That I I enjoyed the sort of escapism of being healthy, being out there, be, feeling invincible, thinking they're invincible, um, and then whammo, you know, you're you're hit with reality that they're not, and you're now the one sort of taking the reins. Whereas that was never the case. My dad was just the man that you know allowed me to be whoever I wanted to be, and he supported that. And then it was my turn to support them at least in any way I could, and I don't think I did the best job of it, but I can't look back and have regrets because I did what I did with what I had. Um, and I, I just, um, I, you know, I wish I could have done more, so I think that is what I can now give my mother. Mm -hmm. what, in, the moments I've, in the moments I've missed with my father, mm -hmm. I can now have with my mom. Yeah. Yeah. She is a peach and you're lucky <laughs> to still have her. We're both lucky to still have our moms. And yeah. um there's so much that we miss because life is going so fast that coming down here helped me slow down. Mm -hmm. I think losing my eyesight was, was part of that process too where the universe was like, Come on girl. Mm -hmm. slow it down you're just going way too fast and things are going by and you're missing stuff so mm -hmm. florida has given me the opportunity to appreciate so much more of the little things even though you're not supposed to sweat them i now get to enjoy them <laughs> <laughs>
That's such a wonderful way of looking at it, though. That's a really nice way to put it. Well, let's switch gears and talk about turning 50. You're turning mm. 50 this year. Are you anxious, excited? Any big plans? Um, traveling with two close girlfriends that I've known for over two decades and my sister. We're going scuba diving. We're going to a world that I adore, the underwater realm of, of peace and serenity. I'm looking forward to to that. Um, Where is that? Underwater. Well, we're going to Turks and Caicos. But oh, t- Turks and Caicos. Anywhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it could be anywhere underwater. I would have preferred to have gone to Raja Ampat, Indonesia, but it's too much of a trip for the girls to take. Uh-huh. And I really can't leave my six-year-old for two and a half plus weeks. But um, <laughs> it's a week so It's a week of diving and reading and talking and sleeping and eating and, 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 and diving and, and diving and diving. So it, it's, um, that's how I'm kicking off my 50th. And, and uh, I'm sure Olivia and Eric and I will have a gathering because she's big on birthdays, my daughter. Um, <laughs> I sort of regret I'm going away actually on my birthday, and I'm sort of regretting now that this little peanut's going to want to, you know, do so much for me. But we'll, we'll work it in that we can do it around it. I typically celebrate my birthday for a month anyway, so this will be longer than that that's a good approach um, and i'm i'm going next month to virginia beach to share it with a friend that i've known since i'm four so that too is um it's just special just just um to look back on god we're 50 how did that happen i remember my mother was 50 oh my mother uh-huh. um <laughs> and and to luckily feel like i have learned and that i'm working on that learning even more to keep learning um and and you know to have slowed down to, to force myself to slow down and and get off that that wheel and enjoy the more day to day things you kind of miss when you're trying to make it all happen. Mm-hmm. So, are you anxious about this turning fifty? Um, I just got my physical and my blood work came back okay, so I'm not. I okay, was anxious before okay. the doctor. <laughs> so no, um, good. I, I'm not. I'm not so anxious. I think good. it's just another number, and we're all bound to get there. We all owe a death. I'm going to get there one way or the other, and I, I'm. I'm in a really good place right now with the fact that I'm. I've uh, it took me a while to get my not for profit up and running, and it's got a lot long way to go. But I'm focusing on community and and environment, and it, it feels good. And you know, my family, my family, giving my mom much more of my attention. Being there for her and her time of aging and need, and uh, you know, I mean, she's 82, but she's vibrant, so it's also fun. And I love the fact that you know, my daughter gets to enjoy that with mm-hmm. her too. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you hoped to achieve by now, uh, and did you get there? I no, I was sort of a seat of the pants type person. Um, I think if I had a list, I would have shortchanged myself. Mm-hmm. I have. I've seen a lot so far, not that I want to die tomorrow, but, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I've uh, I've checked off things I never would have thought to have added to my list. Such um, as? You know, seeing the countries that I've seen and meeting the people that I've met, traveling t- throughout Indonesia and Africa and, and Thailand and um, even just the s- state here. And, you know, I've left my comfort zone and moved to Chicago not knowing a soul and, and had phenomenal relationships with people that introduced me to celebrities and, um, you know, CEOs of billion dollar, you know, companies and, and learned how it is on every, every walk of life. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just really people at the end of the day, everybody's just human. And it's good to know that it's a, it's kind of a confidence builder that we're all just plugging away here trying to get through mm-hmm. and enjoy what we have. And like I worked on Wall Street and I survived that as a woman mm-hmm. and came throughout 
out the other end with the education of something that I know I don't ever want to be a part of again. Mm-hmm. And I'm that much more entrenched in you know nature and people and what really matters. And I, I, you know, I give my parents that credit for keeping me connected or grounded. But so many people are easily in this world and, and this generation with technology and in-your-face stuff, they're so easily swayed. And, and it's a scary thing being the mother of a, of a daughter um, now to hope that I can impress upon her that there's so much more of, of life than what you're inundated with on a day-to-day basis from TV and sensationalism and, and commercialism and consumerism and insecurity, you know, mm-hmm. is, is the, bane of, the bane of the world. And it's my job to build her up. Mm-hmm. You alluded to this a little bit earlier about how you feel about growing old now versus when you were younger, your parents being invincible, that sort of thing. What do you think is the hardest thing about growing old, and what's the best thing? Knowing you're mortal, you know, understanding that your your time is nearing. Um, you know, it's no longer looking ahead and seeing this forever road. You know, not that I see a cliff or an edge or a wall, but it's it's definitely a reality. And I, I'm having my daughter is a wonderful thing, but it's also God. You know, I'm an older parent. I'm going to be leaving her, whatever age I am. She's still going to be young and. You know, the not the regret of not having her earlier. I probably should have had seven children, but just that if I let those thoughts sneak in, they can be consuming with the realities of the sadness of it all. But it's also forces me to stay healthy, to stay involved, to stay communicative with both my husband and my daughter, um, mm-hmm. enjoying enjoying the moments day to day versus oh, you know, we'll get there next year, or, you know, I'll feel that tomorrow, or, you know, it, it's um, when the, I don't want to say negative, but when the, when the realistic, what some people could say overwhelming thoughts do in, in, integrate into my brain, it's a shift. It's something you have to accept. Mm-hmm. It's acceptance, I guess. It's just acceptance. Is there anything good about getting older? The fact that you, you get accepting, you know, and, and you don't sweat the small stuff, or hopefully you don't. I mean, I'm not saying I don't. Because I'm not, you know, there, there are times when you just feel lesser or insecure or sure. my confidence is shot and you, you let those things creep in. But I think because I'm at where I'm at, I, I feel stronger about keeping toxic people out of my life, not feeling bad about not trying to please everybody, pleasing myself and those that are important to me and doing it, you know, gracefully without hurting other people's feelings, making sure that I am not weighed down. I say yes so much, and I'm learning to say no. I'm learning to focus on the important issues versus the small stuff that used to weigh me down, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, and co- the confidence, knowing that it's important to make sure my mother's happy on a day-to-day basis. She gave me so much, so much more than just life. I mean, she was an anchor for me. And she, she said it one day when somebody I know had a... Um, lost their mom and she said you know I don't think I really ever grew up until I lost my mom you know it wasn't a reflection to me or anything she just stated that out loud that Mm -hmm. it was a reality for her that when she kind of grew up more when she didn't have her mom there to hold Mm -hmm. her hand through everything and Mm -hmm. um, yeah when you lose a parent you come of age in a different way you really do yeah Um, how do most Americans think about aging in your mind 
in the age of Botox and plastic surgery and <laughs> all pharmaceutical stuff that you can get, I think they're scared shitless. Excuse me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's all too prevalent to defy it. Well, I just got back from Vegas. And, you know, it's such a people-watching place to see these individuals, you know, that really shouldn't be wearing what they're wearing and acting like they're active. <laughs> and, you know, again, what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I think it's sort of prolific throughout the nation that, you know, if I can look 30, everybody might think I'm 30 and I can pretend I'm 30 and I'm actually 55 and it's doing yourself a disservice not to accept where you are. Yeah, everybody wants to look good, but who are you looking good for? It's a big question mark. So there's so many great things about America and there's just so much that's a waste of time. People can be having such more quality life if they let go of the superficial attitude. And and again, I think it all stems from, from insecurity. And I work with a lot of underprivileged kids. And if there's anybody that you can have in your life that can help you build that confidence, you know, and that's why I do what I do with the kids because you just hope that you can get one or two of them to really believe in themselves mm-hmm. so they can let all that other stuff just bounce off them and not need the, the pumping up of, in so many other plastic ways. I think it's interesting that you're making the point that self-esteem is important to cultivate in young people, but I didn't necessarily connect it to how they see themselves as they age. I, I think, think you found, your foundation is built early on, and I think we, we tend to carry so much baggage with us throughout our lives that we don't ever really deal with and let go of. And that, that baggage slash armor is something that you know, can be our protector, but it can also be our detriment. And we never can grow into the person we're supposed to be if we are constantly fending off what life can throw at you, you accepting so much and, and, and facing it with confidence and facing down your fears and, and moving through stuff is a difficult thing to do. And a lot of these kids don't have the confidence from the get-go to move beyond that. And it's, it's a sad thing to know that they won't reach their full potential. Many are, many are, because of the great agencies that are out there. Your childhood is such a mirror to who you can be or will be uh, in your in your old age. Mm-hmm. And you're also talking about not just familial challenges, but the challenges of growing up in a culture of youth where they're not only being catered to as a youth demographic, but they're being bombarded by images that are unrealistic about getting older. The way that people think about aging and the stereotypes about, I mean, for for me, spending time talking to an older person actually is enlightening. Well, my father is being in a couple of different nursing homes. My grandmother, when I was a teenager, being in nursing homes. It's not something you want to be at when you're 14 years old mm-hmm. and you want to be with your friends. But, you know, your mom's like, you're coming to visit your grandmother. And, you know, I remember a point where the grandmother was in the bathroom with the aide, the attendant, and... Um, I sat alone in this, you know, TV room with all these other people and somebody dropped something and I went over to pick it up for them. And then we just started talking and this old, what looked like Raisin's decrepit old man had this story that was just amazing. And I thought, oh my God, at 14, I was sort of blown away by here. I'm just like, this is just a room of, of old people that I've got nothing in common with, but realizing that. God, they're full of life stories and things that are, are 
unfortunately, their children aren't here or their grandchildren aren't here picking their brains about stuff. And it's sad how we treat our older generation. You know, the stories that they can share, it's just unfair that many of the elderly are kind of left alone and not um, still sharing because, they, you know, I would take my mom to Disney World and, you know, we got her a scooter. Because she can't keep up. Sure. There's no reason to leave her. There's no reason to leave her behind. Right. Of so course. We had, we had scooters and in day to day life. It would so help people to be more appreciative and empathetic to the older generation because many aren't. Yeah, you know, and the interesting thing is is that there is research to show that older people are actually less lonely than college and uh, college age adults, and that they experience fewer negative emotions like sadness and anger on a day-to-day basis. I mean, they experience loss and other problems, you know, that challenge their well-being. But they are really better equipped than younger people to cope with those challenges. Well, I don't think it's just because of their life lessons and their age. My mother's generation grew up in a time where they worked for everything they got, and they experienced so much strife in the world that it, that you know, impeded upon them day to day with World War Two, and you know, just the things that they and the things that changed in their world mm-hmm. that it gave them a more natural experience and resilience, mm-hmm. right? And now, you know, there, there's so many kids that are hovered over and they can't fall down and they can't win. Everybody gets a trophy when you're playing baseball. That's, that's <laughs> crap. You know, that's crap. My mother never let me, my grandmother never let me win at Rummy. My sister never let me win at War. My brother beat me at Monopoly. You know, and I think that that's the way to go about it. You know, these uh-huh. kids don't lose. And they don't have the, they're not left to their own resources, which they have, because every human does. But they're in an era where the technology is going to hurt them and the help and hurt. But I think more hurt because it just distanced themselves from just the basic fundamentals of life and surviving. So, you know, I'm becoming a Girl Scout leader so I can give her some of that basic stuff that isn't about what's on TV or in the movies or in the magazines. And she gets to have this life training versus this commercial false happiness, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. So what do, you, what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you were younger? To spend more time with those that you love, that you care about, that have given you everything. You know, I think I wish I'd spent more time with my parents in my 20s and 30s. I did exactly what they told me to do. Go out there, girl, and you knock mm-hmm. them dead. And that meant me travel here and there. But I did try to spend more time with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy I did that because we had a relationship in the end. That I, she scared crap out of me when I was a kid. She was <laughs> German and, and she didn't laugh. And she, But when we were 10, we went to Germany and I saw her in her element. And it was like, whoa, she actually smiles, you know. And then <laughs> when I was 17 and I went to college, I went to visit her during summer break. And, you know, I made a point to, to have a relationship with her. And it was something that I'm, I'm happy about because she's this this family that we have, these roots, this family tree, it's, it's who you are, and you can't run from it, and it's great to embrace it and to you know, spend time with the people that are important in the, from that aspect, no matter how crazy families can be, but, and I think just really trust yourself, trust your gut. Every time I've, I've, I've had hiccups in my life, it's when I've gone against my gut, mm-hmm. and I've known that, okay, that's not a decision for me, and if you can't make a decision, don't. Because those are the ones you're going to regret. What do you see as your place or your purpose in life right now? Oh, well, that's for Olivia. Um, It's to to grow and raise 
to yes to raise Olivia. Well, it's kind of twofold. Um, I I was selfish until I was forty two. Yeah, it was, it was a hard thing to shake. <laughs> um, and I don't. And it's not like I don't have my moments where I'm in the bathroom going, "Oh my god, I don't want the cats in here. I don't want the kid in here. I just want to be in the bathroom by myself, <laughs> um, off somewhere on a plane doing what I used to do." You know, I definitely have those moments. Um, but life is is now. Um, you know, making sure I have a balance for my happiness, for my husband's happiness as a couple, and to raise a child that can be herself, figure out her ins and outs as well as what I can instill upon her just as a foundation, and continue to give back to the community because I get so much more out of life when I can do that. And my environmental focus now is, is educating the kids and the adults that come to my cleanup and anybody else that will listen about you know, the impact we have and how simple solutions can change what we're doing as humans to Mother Earth. I mean, Mother Earth's going to survive. We're not. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, the, toxin, the toxins are, are, are because of us and the cancers are because of us. And doing simple things to change the craziness that's been created by single-use plastics and simple things like bags. It gives you a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. that I think is lacking for people around you, for the environment, for your community, and the community is a better place when everybody's engaged. And I'm not asking everybody to go to meetings and, and take away too much from your own personal time, but to give something. Give something to some back. degree. Yeah. It takes a lot of energy juggling all that, but you've got tons of energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah, it's my fault. I get, I get that from my dad, um, <laughs> I think. Well, I just, I know that I'm not good idol, and I think that most people are not good idol, but it's easier to do than to put yourself out there. And if more people would just not think, but act in a positive way, um, (laughs) we'd we'd be in a better place, and and the person themselves would be in a better place. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I want to let you go. I could talk all day. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Diane Bueller, I, I really appreciate your time and your energy and your outlook. I think, you know, you're, you're such a dynamic person, and I mean that sincerely. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me and being real open and honest about what you've been through. So thank you. Well, thank you. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Make it a great day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can email me at Jana at AgeWise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at AgeWise.com, and you can subscribe to the podcast and download any episodes for free at iTunes. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well. Age wise.